friends this morning, please follow along on the screens as I read our scripture on which our sermon is based. It comes from 1 Peter 3. These words are utterly true and they're given to us in love. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts Honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Pray, pray with me, pray with me. And so father, son, and Holy spirit, we welcome you into this place. Encourage us with your word, convict us where we need it and allow us to see the gospel. Forgive the preacher, he's a sinner. But may we see Jesus because grace changes everything. It's in his name we pray and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, if you are new with us, so uh, my name's Tyler, I'm one of the pastors here and I'm really glad that you're here with us today. We are began a new sermon series last week uh, called We Are Orangewood, and we are looking at our new mission statement um, and our church values that will guide us as we move forward as a church here at Orangewood. And if you weren't able to be here last week, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon or watch that sermon online because I shared our new mission statement, which is inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. Inviting every person no matter their age, into the life-changing story of Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we're about. That's why we are here. And today, uh, for the next six weeks, we'll be looking at our values as a church, these things that you should feel uniquely while you're a part of us at Orangewood. Now, values are primarily about what already exists that you want to call out and name and celebrate. Uh, and so values uh, are another way to describe it is what has been true of Orangewood's past that we long to be a part of her future. That's another way to talk about values. And today uh, we'll start by unpacking the first value and beginning to name them. The first value is this always truth, always love, always truth, always love. We believe God's word is true and we strive to share it with gentleness and respect. And our hope is that we can live into this value with greater emphasis in the days ahead, always truth, always love. Uh, but we have to answer, why is this value so essential 
in a city like Orlando? Why, why, is a, why is this value so important in a city like Orlando? We have three questions uh, this morning. Why do we need truth? First, why do we need truth? Second, why, why do we need love? And lastly, how do we become the kind of people full of truth and love? So our first question, uh, why do we need truth? And we see it actually right here in this passage, verse 15. Uh, This is what we read. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense uh, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, a little bit of context about the book of 1 Peter. Uh, Peter is writing to followers of Jesus who are experiencing uh, amidst persecution. They're, they're living in a, a city uh, and, and in a culture that is fragmented and divided. There, there's much opposition in the culture at this time. Um, and, and Peter's writing to them and he's saying, if, if you live out the way that I'm describing, if you, if you live out gripped by the truth of the gospel, Gripped by the reality that your life's primary identity is following and being united to this man, Jesus, you will be persecuted. I swear that's the whole point of why he's writing in First Peter. And that's what's happening uh, in the culture at this time. Uh, Peter Davies, in his excellent commentary on First Peter, describes the motivation that Christians should have as they respond to the world that is often harsh and difficult Uh, at times in the different cultures we face. He writes this, "Uh, rather than living in fear of the unbelievers around them, Christians out of reverence to Christ should be prepared to respond fully to their often hostile questions about the faith. And so I want to say this, friends, we need truth. We need, we need truth because it's rational. It's rational. It's, it's how we make sense of the world. And in a culture of uh, you do you and your truth, instead of the truth, we need a foundation that can make sense of the world that we're in, particularly in a culture today where, where, where people would say, you know, there are no absolute truth claims, which ironically is an absolute truth claim. We need a source of truth in a culture that says, find your truth. C.S. Lewis really gets at this in his great book, The Abolition of Man, where in that book he begins to outline uh, we, we lose all grounding uh, for truth, for beauty, for, for morality, for making sense of life if we don't have any sort of standards or foundations, if there's, if there's no absolute truth claims, if there's, there's no standards, no, no way to make sense of the world. Um, he says, where truth is relative, it is not intellectually defendable. Here, here's what he says. But you cannot go on explaining away forever. You, you will find that you have explained explanation itself away. You, you cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or the garden beyond it is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too? A wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. Do you hear what what Lewis is saying? He's saying, uh, you and I desperately need truth to make sense of this world. It's it's the only rational way to live. Uh, G.K. Testerton, in his book, Orthodoxy, kind of gets it a little different way. He said, uh, there is a thought that stops thought, and that is the only thought that ought to be stopped. If you can follow him there. He's saying, there's a thought that must be stopped, and that is the only thought that must be stopped. What Lewis and Chesson are getting at is, 
trying to do away with exclusive truth claims does not solve the issue, but it only makes it worse. Uh, Without truth, we cannot say that the sex trafficking that is exploding and taking over our world, we cannot say that it is wrong or evil. We, We can only simply say that I don't like it, but we cannot say it's wrong. Without truth, uh, we, we, we cannot say that the gunman, Dylan Roof, uh, who went into the Emanuel AME Church um, in Charleston, South Carolina, and killed nine people simply because he did not like their race, the color of their skin. We cannot say that is wrong without truth. To say truth is what you want it to be is, as Lewis said, is the same as not to see. And Dostoevsky, he gets at this uh, in, in his book, The Brothers Karamazov. He, he's talking, one of the main themes of that book is uh, if there is no God, there, there is no basis for, morali- for morality, for, for inquiry, for in, uh, there's no basis or foundation for why I'm choosing to do anything. And one of the main characters in the book is Ivan. Ivan is the cynic. He's the, he's the rational skeptic in the story. And, and this is the point he, he makes in the book. He says this, without God... Everything is permitted. Everything's permitted. Everything's permitted. As Lewis said, without truth, we just keep seeing through everything. We need truth to be rational if we want to make sense of the world. And, and our culture where we find ourselves in this, this idea of, of your truth and, 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 and you do you, this didn't just come upon us. This has actually been in the cultural waters for quite a long time. Um, actually, Many people can look back at the 18th century Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who, who kind of began to uh, unpin all of these things, saying, uh, truth is inside of you. Uh, truth, uh, truth just needs to be unearthed. It's, it's, it's there, the beauty, the goodness, the freedom, that's all inside of you. Uh, they, it just needs to be found to tap into your true self. The truth is within uh, we need to do that. We need to go there. Well, that's how we find the truth. We, we just have to express who we truly are. No apologies. No apologies. This is me. That's the way one song put it recently. Rousseau believed that freedom is how you determine it. It's the forces outside of you. It's the, it's the culture. It's the, the authority structures. It's, it's everything that you're facing outside of you. That's what the issues are. We need to find it's what's inside of you that will free you. See, he says it this way. Man is born free and everywhere is in chains. And friends, this is the modern gospel we find ourselves in. Freedom is inside of you. Uh, Truth is inside of you. Salvation is inside of you. The issue is out there. It's, it's, it's those other people, those people in authority. They're the ones enslaving you. Uh, they're the ones crushing your spirit, crushing your freedom. It's, it's people like you, Tyler, with your religious ideology. Now, maybe Rousseau is just too old for your liking. I understand that. Maybe you need to hear it from someone today. So uh, Billie Eilish, any, any Billie Eilish fans? Okay. Some who don't want to admit it. That's okay. Musical artist, Grammy winner. Uh, there was an interview done with her uh, with Vogue magazine uh, over the summer. And, and this is what she said. She says this. It's all about what makes you feel good. It's all about what makes you feel good. That's life. That's what we need. That, that's, that's it. Buy into this truth. Is truth and freedom found in breaking free from authority structures and how I'm designed as a human? 
Now, that, now, I want to make sure I'm very clear on this. There's a lot of really great things about our culture that I, I love. I, I, and in a lot of ways, uh, our culture now has brought some things to light that we just couldn't see years ago. But um, in our culture today, um, I need, but we have to ask this question, as we can, to quote Eilish, should I, does a life where I only want to do what makes me feel good, is that a sustainable life vision? Is that a sustainable life vision? Like, I'd say it this way. Maybe I bought into that as a life vision until I had kids. <laughs> Are truth and freedom what I want them to be? The classic you do you or I need to express who I truly am. That's truth. Or is truth found in me receiving the right authority structures and embracing how I am truly designed as a human? I'll explain it this way. A couple years back, um, Rachel and I got invited while we were living in Michigan to go to a lake house with some of our members of the church. It was their lake house. They invited us to come. And um, it, it was everything you thought it would be. I mean, just in the middle of nowhere, picturesque, the beauty of nature. It's okay to be jealous if you are. Um, it was just this great, beautiful spot. And one morning I woke up before um, everybody else had, and I ventured out onto their dock um, just to have some time by myself to be in nature. And uh, the, I noticed that the, the, the water that year had, the, had been higher in that lake, and it was right up right under the dock. And um, this time when I'm walking out into, uh, the, uh, to be on the deck, uh, I noticed that there was a fish that was flopping on that dock. And, uh, and, and, and it must have, because the water was high, it probably jumped out of the water, but jumping out of the water, it jumped right on uh, to, to the deck. And uh, when I saw, I saw that fish just sitting there on the deck, I said to it, I talked right to the fish, I said, way to find your truth. You do you. You do you. Do what makes you feel good. Now, I didn't say that. Of course I wouldn't say that. Why? That fish was not free. It was dying before my very eyes. And so what did I do? I, I, I gently like came up to the fish and just guided it back into the water because that fish could only find freedom within the authority structures it was designed. The, free, the fish was only going to be free in the water. And friends, we need to embrace truth. That's the only way to make sense of the world. Jesus prayed his longest prayer called the high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, Jesus tells us where we can turn for truth. This is simply how he put it. He said this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This value, always truth, always love will shape us more and more as we seek to be a people of, of truth. We are seeking to lean into this value uh, for the importance of education educational and theological content that's much needed today. Um, this next year, you're going to hear us talking more about there will be Sunday studies happening all throughout the year as we seek to surrender our individual authority uh, to the authority of the Bible. This is the way Fleming Rutledge puts it. I think it puts it all right in one spot. She says this, there is a fundamental distinction between saying we question the Bible 
and the Bible questions us. And so we'll seek to create opportunities for the Bible to question us. Every poll that's been done bears this out uh, in the data that biblical literacy and theological engagement are down uh, in our culture. And one recent Barna poll says 9% of Christians actually have a biblical worldview. And so our hope is a church is to be a place where people will see we love God's word. We love the truth of scripture and, and through our some Sunday studies that will have those opportunities for you to engage. And even through this next year, we're praying for what are other theological ways that we could speak into the pressing issues that we're seeing in our culture. Truth is rational. It shapes our lives. We need it or, or we could flop around like the fish Those are our options, but also truth is emotional. It's emotional. One of my favorite movies of all time is the 1994 classic Shawshank Redemption. Anyone? Anyone? Shawshank? Okay. I I knew I loved some of you. It tells the story of Andy Dufresne. He's a banker. He's been wrongly um, convicted of a crime where he's going to go serve a life sentence in prison, he uh, is taken advantage of. He's, a, he's assaulted. Um, the, the prison guards use him uh, for their own financial gain. The, uh, the warden of the prison has Andy cooking the books on the side. But the whole time, Andy's at peace. There, there's a contentment and joy that he has to his life. Uh, one of his close friends in prison is a man named Red. He, he, he tells him, hey, Red, I have hope. How can Andy have hope? How can Andy have hope uh, despite the fact he's facing a life sentence for a crime he didn't commit? He's being exploited and used in prison. How can he have peace? How could he possibly have hope? Even Red, his friend, warns him, says, listen, uh, hope is a very, very dangerous thing in prison. Hope's a very dangerous thing in prison. How, How does Andy have peace and hope? It's because he knows the truth. He knows the truth. You see, underneath this very large, oversized Rita Hayworth, and if you don't know Rita, she's she's a classic uh, actress. Classic, you know, I want to be careful with my words. Uh, Rita Hayworth, underneath this large, oversized Rita Hayworth poster in his prison cell wall, underneath that, Andy has been picking and picking and picking his way of escape. Every night before every, uh, when everyone else goes to bed, all the prisoners are asleep, he's, he's up picking to that wall till he can finally break through to freedom. And, and then one morning, all the other prisoners, they wake up, everybody's looking around, Where, where's Andy? Where's Andy? Uh, Andy's on a bus to Mexico to life with no chains. Now, I'm sure, I know there's gotta be somebody here, you've never seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. And to that, I pray for your soul. Um, and you, because you, and you haven't seen the movie and, and so I just like ruined the giant plot twist that happens at the end for you. And for that, I'm deeply sorry, but I will say this. The movie has been out for almost 30 years. So I, I, I don't know what to do about that. Andy is able to weather the toughest things he faced in prison with joy and contentment because why he knew the truth. He he knew he was busting himself out of there. You see, friends, when we align ourselves with the truth of God's word, truth is emotional. 
Truth helps us to weather the toughest things that we may be facing right now, the toughest things that we are going through. Uh, We can have a hope no matter how dark the prison. We can have a joy because there's a truth from God of the universe who declares to you this morning, I'm working all things together for your good, Romans 8, though you don't feel it. This same God declares to you, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, Philippians 1. God's saying to you this morning, no matter what you feel, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. I'm working things together for your good. Do you see that? Have you experienced that? Truth is emotional. I love the way St. Augustine put it in his confessions. He says this, no object of love is more healthy than God's truth, beautiful and luminous above all things. This is why we need truth. It, it, it is the truth of who God is found in the scriptures. It's the source for all direction, all purpose, all meaning in a culture that really does struggle to provide answers to life's biggest questions. They don't have great answers. The gospel is more compelling and the truth of scripture keeps pointing us to this better story, the story of Jesus and the gospel and how in him, all things will be made right in him. All tears will be wiped away in him. Broken sinners are reconciled to a holy God by the same God who will die to make you his own. Have you received that truth this morning? It's the truth that is rational and emotional and we need it. But second, why do we need love? Why do we need love? Look, look at first Peter again. It says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you of a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, Peter Davies, once again, his commentary really describes well how we are called to live out this truth. He writes this. It's not enough simply to give an answer. How Christians give an answer and the life behind the answer are far more eloquent than the words they speak. Friends, there is a posture that should be noticeable in our lives. You you may not know this, but um, Rachel and I, we began uh, the process of renovating uh, our home that we're moving. It's it's still going. Um, And um, I think I can speak for Rachel and say that... um, doing a renovation like this will never, ever, ever happen again in our lifetime. I think I've lost a year on my life in this process. Um, but uh, through this renovation project, we've, we've received uh, all these different boxes to our house, whether it's lights or mirrors or you name it, and it's, it's all come into our house. And, and each of the boxes says the same thing on it. It says, fragile, handle with care. Now, why, why do they say that? Well, it's, it's because it, there's something inside that you must be careful to how you handle it. It, it, it. There's something inside that's valuable and important. So, so choose well how you move. I know some of you love the truth. Um, during my last point on the truth, you, you are almost to the point to stand up and amen, even though you're a Presbyterian. But the truth, as much as we love sometimes isn't handled with care. People at our office know exactly how we feel about them. We can be judgmental and mean. And and this is the subtext that we may carry around with people and how they experience us. There's There's an aura to us 
And it, and it goes like this, the subtext, no matter what we're communicating, it's this, I'm right, you're wrong, and don't you wish you were more like me? I'm right, you're wrong, don't you wish you were more like me? You see, we all have known a Christian who knew everything about the Bible and they were an absolute jerk. We've all known, we all know one. Now you may be in the room and you may uh, be watching online. You may be saying, I don't really think I know one. (laughs) Might, might be you. How does the truth change us into be more loving people ready to give a defense with gentleness and respect? At first, it changes us personally. Um, The truth begins changing you into a person who's full of modesty and humility. Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote in his book, Religious Affections, and uh, he says in this book, he says that when you begin to have the truth engage you and consume you personally, that you will become a kind of person full of humility and modesty in your life. Now, you may be tempted to think, oh, Edwards, he must have been soft on the truth. Um, And (laughs) there is nothing further from reality. Edwards, uh, some consider to be the greatest theologian America has ever produced. Uh, uh, Edwards, he, he developed in his Bible what's called an interleafed system. Basically, every page of scripture, he added a blank page so that he could take notes on that section. Uh, Edwards has forgotten more in his life than we will ever learn. But he said that. He said, you can tell the truth is getting control of your heart when there is a humility and a modesty to your life. So truth changes us personally, but it also changes us practically. Uh, we start to allow the truth to guide and shape all areas of our life, how we make decisions. The, the, the truth should become uh, practical in your day in, day out implications. So no matter the circumstances that we are facing, whatever feels like it's too much in our lives, too overwhelming, too difficult, too ruined, There is a truth that allows me to face all the pressing issues of my life, knowing God will lead and guide. God will be with me through whatever I face. Even when I can't see a way out, there is the truth. He is with me. I'll say it this way. Truth should not be shaping simply your Sunday, but it should be informing and guiding you through Monday through Saturday as well. How, how, how do I think about my work? How, how do I think about parenting? How do I, how do I think about my, my relationship with my spouse? How do I think about my singleness? How, how, do, I, how do I look at these pressing issues in my life? That the, the truth should speak there practically. So speaks to us personally, speaks to us practically, and lastly, speaks to us plumly. Plumly. And I know someone's got to be thinking, Tyler, is plumly, is that even a word? It is. And I needed a third P. Um, I don't know if you've ever done handyman stuff. I'm not very handy, but uh, a, a couple times I've done a few things and we've used the plumb line chalk. Have you ever used plumb line chalk for a project? You've got you to saw or cut something. And you, you stretch out this, this long piece of, of yarn or string and, and, and it has chalk on it. And you just pop that, you just pop that little that string up and it leaves that nice line of integrity of what you are trying to do and to take care of. And 
uh, Paul, when he writes to us in Ephesians, he, he, he talks about how we, we need that same line of integrity with truth in our life. And this is what he says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Literally, it says, aluthetes in agape. Truthing in love. Literally, truthing in love. Here's how you know the truth is changing you. Here's the plumb line chalk of integrity for your life. You can tell you're growing up into Christ because you're truthing in love. It's a part of you. Your life is marked by the truth of who God is. The same, same time, your life is marked by love, marked by integrity, marked by gentleness in your life. So the last question, how, how do we become these kind of people full of truth and love? How do we become those kind of people? How do we become the kind of people who live out always truth, always love? Well, we actually see it in our passage. It says this in 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, What we need to become people full of love and truth, this passage tells us, is to see Christ as our savior, to see him as our substitute, to see him as our deliverer. That's the connection with Noah in this passage that I read earlier. Um, many have tr- struggled to understand what this whole section on Noah. It's a very tricky passage to interpret, but this is the basic premise. Noah uh, was the righteous person who did what God asked him. He, he built the ark and God told him to do that. He built the ark and his righteous act of obedience was imputed to his family. It, it tells us he, he saved his family in the boat from the wrath and judgment waters that were to come. But there is a better Noah, friends. There is a better Noah. And not like the Noah whose righteous act was simply imputed to us. Noah was a mess. Uh, If you just keep reading past the ark story in the Bible, just read a little bit further. What do we find on Noah? At the very end, he's drunk and apparently he's taken off all of his clothes like he's at a college fraternity party. All that's missing from that scene are the red solo cups. I don't think, did you go to fraternity parties? Red solo cups, does that not? That joke failed. I'm not gonna do that one again. (laughs) Noah's life was a mess just like mine. But Noah was pointing to someone greater in the redemptive story who would come. Not one simply whose righteous act would be imputed to us, but one whose righteous and perfect life would be imputed to us. And this greater Noah wasn't on the boat with us sailing away to freedom. No, he was on a cross. As the waters of sin and judgment came crushing down on him, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. As the great reformer Martin Luther put the glorious exchange. Uh, friends, don't you see he took your place for all the times that we have caved and cowered to speak up for the truth, for all the, the times in our life we've been involved in something at work or in our private life that we have just kind of explained away with the excuse that it's okay. We tell ourselves, I'm not hurting anyone with this. For all the times that we've talked about someone behind their backs, for all the times we've spoken the truth, but we haven't handled it with care. We were arrogant. We've been insulting. We've been just plain mean, but 
We're invited to look to the cross. The only righteous person who ever lived is showing us what truth looks like. Jesus had to die for you. Do you see that? Uh, Jesus isn't on the cross just because he had to die for you. Jesus is on the cross because he was glad to die for you. Because it tells us in the book of Ephesians that Jesus has loved you since the foundations of the earth. That's a long time, friends. That's a long time. No one's loved you longer. Uh, No one has loved you stronger. Christianity is different from every other religion because every other religion is about what you must do to be saved. Uh, It's your good works that get you in. The, the, The mantra is get it together or do better. That's the mantra. But Christianity is all for people who say, I can't get it together. I, I, I can't do it on my own. I need someone to rescue me. I need, I need a truth and a freedom outside of myself, not in me. Christianity is about what Christ has done to save you. His righteous life, he has brought in your place. As our passage tells us, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. The glorious exchange. Friends, will you allow Jesus to love you? Will you allow him to love you? Charles Wesley wrote an old hymn. I don't think you can find this in any hymnals today, but he he wrote an old hymn called, O God of Grace. And he says this, O God of all grace, thy goodness we praise, thy son thou hast given to die in our place. Will you allow him to love you? We need the gospel to mark our lives. If we want to be people living out this value, always truth, always love. Jesus had to die for you. That will humble you. That will, that will always be a reminder to you that you must come empty handed to God. No need for arrogance or posturing. God had to die for us. We seek to live out that with gentleness and respect, but, but Jesus was glad to die for you. He was glad to die for you. That is the truth that will give you a contentment like nothing else will in our culture. You see, every other identity that you take on in this life has the potential to crush you, to crush you. It will demand things of you till there is no you left. All of these other cultural masters, whether it's your career or your looks or it's others approval will crush you. Jesus is the only master that if you choose to follow him, won't crush you, but will free you like you never knew. And rather than crushing you, like all the other cultural masters, he will be crushed. It tells us he bore our sin. He bore our, our insecurities, all of our, all of our addictions, all the places where our cultural masters tell us endlessly that you aren't cutting it. You are not enough. Do more, do more. Jesus declares to you this morning, his final words from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. When we see what Jesus has done for us, that he has saved us, then we can see how the beauty of truth and love come together. They come together in the gospel. Always truth, always love. Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote a poem called Lord of All Being that really gets at the beauty of truth and love together in God. And he says this, Lord of all life below and above whose light is truth, whose warmth is love. Grant us thy truth to make us free and kindling hearts that burn for thee. 
May we know the profound truth of the gospel. May we see our need. And may we see the profound love of God for us in Jesus as we seek to live that out in this world. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we, we come to you as the God of truth. We recognize, Lord, that you had to die for us. There was no other way. We needed a redeemer. But Father, press upon our hearts the beauty of the gospel this morning that you were glad to die for us that you've loved us with an everlasting love, that you have called us your own and allow us by your spirit to be people. Always truth, always love. We do pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.